0: In a lot, of, a lot of the letters in the New Testament, you have the front half of those letters written about just things that we need to know, uh, doctrine or teaching, and then the second half of the letters typically are where Paul or Peter will start to apply. So if all this is true, then this is what you need to do. In, in Thessalonians, I've never really appreciated, like I have this time around, what a shift that takes. When that happens in the Thessalonians, I think we were talking a couple, couple weeks ago we started this passage. It's like, and Chris, I don't know why. We always have this. It's not letting me move this over. So in Thessalonians, you get to this moment in chapter four. It's like when someone says to you, maybe someone said to you this morning before service, hey, I need to talk to you. They say, hey, okay, you want to talk after service? No, I need to talk to you right now. And so, okay, all right, what's up? No, no, we got we to gotta find somewhere private. Okay, all right, so you go into, you know, my office or wherever, one of the classrooms, and the person looks around and then shuts the door. And you're going to think, this is not a talk. This is something serious. What is up? That's what you say. What's up there? We've got to do this. That's what Thessalonians is like in chapter 4. There's these things that Paul needs to address, but he doesn't just say, like in Corinthians, as messed up as Corinth was, he just says to them, now about the things you've written about hey, let's change gears, and you wrote some questions, and I want to answer your questions. Look at how it is in Thessalonians, and I think it's, Im- it's important for us to see this because, because of what he's talking about. We get a sense of just how serious it is to Paul. So he says in, in verse 1 in 1 Thessalonians 4, finally then, brothers, finally he's making a shift, we ask you, that's nice, and we urge you. We noticed last time, that's a word that's pretty weighty. It's got some authority to it. Hey, we're going to ask you, and then we're kind of going to tell you that this is what you need to do. To, uh, we urge you in the Lord Jesus. So now this is really official that he's saying to them. that you, you know, So we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us, remember what we told you, how you ought to walk and to please God, okay, All right, we're talking about what God wants, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Hey, we just wanna remind you of instructions, But we talked about last time that that's a really gentle translation of a word that's pretty strong, of the things we said to you out of our apostolic authority, the things that we charged you about in the Lord Jesus. So if you're sitting at Thessalonica, if they've gathered everybody together, everybody get together in the pre-COVID days, get together, we got a letter from Paul, we're gonna read it together, and then we're gonna have a potluck supper, however that went. We're all together and we're listening to this letter and it's been super encouraging, the first three chapters of how much he remembers us and how he was blessed by us and what he has for us kind of next, and then all of a sudden this, and you think, man, what is so important that he's gotta lead into it this way? And then he tells him what's so important. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality and that each one of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That this thing, this topic, this next thing he had to talk to them about was so serious that he let in with all of those things. We command you this in the Lord Jesus. We're urging you. We're asking you. He's weighing in as an apostle. All of that was to talk to them about about their sex life, about being sexually pure. Their living, as we were talking about last time, in the Greek world and the Roman world, that was an incredibly immoral world, an incredibly whatever-goes, especially especially over on the men's side and so you had homosexuality and you had pedophilia and you had all of these all the things we had a quote last time that talked about hey we have prostitutes for this we have mistresses for this and we have our wives for this so in that culture he weighs in really heavily that this really really matters to god and it really should matter over on your side of things and kind of our our umbrella uh, a phrase out of that was, this is God's will, your sanctification. But sanctification is a huge word. It has to do with your whole life. But then he zeroes in and says, you're, that you not be sexually immoral. That his will for, for you, his will for us, as followers of Jesus, is for what I'm, what I'm calling holy sex. It's for a sex that honors him, a sex life as he lays it out. Uh, kind of this week studying, the phrase came to me, just that holy sex will leave you whole. And that's his intent. It will not leave you broken like like the random relationships that go on in the world or, or the areas where we venture out in immorality. That sex God's way within the, kind, the confines of how he's defined it, that will leave you whole. That's rare. And there are so many men and women, young men and women, who are chasing wholeness through the road of brokenness. So I've got a video I want to show in a minute, but I, I just want to take a second to just say how... You know, I'm really pleased, studying in this, I'm really pleased that there are ministries like Route One uh, that we get to partner with in some ways that ministers to women who are being trafficked and being exploited, who are suffering the the flip side of what God's intent is on that. So we're looking at 1 Thessalonians from this sense of God the gospel in three weeks. And it's important for some of you to know who just experienced sexual brokenness or who are experiencing present tense, sexual bondage, to know that in three weeks there, God totally changed their lives. You know, when you, you meet them and we find out in Acts that he was just there three Saturdays, and then he says everything about their lives that he does in chapter one, that you left your idols, you've turned and you're serving God and you you're living for him and you're loving each other well and you're living in light of Jesus' coming. Three weeks. So I want to say that to those of you that wrestle with, I've struggled with this all my life. That doesn't have to be the case. Or you may struggle all your life, but you don't have to be defeated by it all your life. That's the hope of the gospel. So we have a video that, that we want to lead into what the passages speak to us on this flip side. Two weeks ago, we looked at what is he saying when he tells us to abstain from sexual immorality. What is he saying this morning when to look at it when he says that you need to know how to control your own body, so we're gonna show that video. I need to apologize to those of you who are on live stream. Our license allows us to show this video in here but not on the live stream. So, so Pete is gonna put a slide up for the four minutes we're away. It's gonna tell you where you can find this on YouTube if you wanna watch it while we're watching it in here. But okay, if we can get the lights and, and show that. That's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? That you know, we all come in broken and we can find wholeness and healing in Jesus. So whatever your brokenness is, there's healing. And so we're always concerned, Pastor Ted and I, that people live under an umbrella of condemnation or of a label when we've been forgiven and we've been cleansed. And we finished last time with that. For some of, your, for some of you who your sexual journey has included such brokenness and in such regret now and disillusionment or woundedness, all of those things to know that when Corinthians says you were washed and you were justified and you were sanctified, that meant every area of life. That's the beauty of this gospel that we're trying to to offer to people. We hear this fairly regularly on Thursday nights in Road to Recovery. Someone came in for the first time Thursday night and, and just found out I was the pastor and uh, <clears throat> just said, so you let people like us into your church, huh? And that... That grieves me every single time. I said, our church is filled with people like you. It's kind of who we are, you know. And so, you know, I said, uh, I said, actually, you know, something about the ministry. I said, we actually, we prayed for years that God would trust us with a ministry like this. So, hey, welcome. So not just Thursday night, but Sunday, if you've kind of crawled in here, or slunk in here, and you feel like you don't belong among all these good people, just talk to me. I can tell you they're not so good. So, yeah. So, yeah, amen. And there's less pressure on us that way, isn't it? I mean, it's just you're just living in light of grace and in light of the cross, you know? And if there's an empty tomb, then he can do anything in your life. That's the story. So he speaks to them, high-priority topic. It's the first thing he, he addresses with... With the Thessalonians, he's going to talk about other topics as we as we move ahead in the book, But the first thing he talks about is how they live a pure life, a holy life, in in the midst of a culture where everything was just off the rails. and And that's where we are now. And so the negative side of that, as I, as I mentioned uh, uh, before the video, the negative side of that is, is his will is that we abstain from immoral sex. And, and that's what he says. And, and we took time to look into that and what does that mean and unpack that. And immoral sex, in God's eyes, is anything outside of a man and a woman who are married, who've committed themselves to a lifelong relationship. Anything outside of that, any kind of sexual experience with a person or online is, is immoral to him. In fact, the word for sexual immorality, we saw that's the word porneia. And we all know what we get where we get out of from that word but on the positive side then he speaks to us and he says in verse four that each one of you know how to control his own body that's going to be huge to some of you who just feel like well this is an area of my life that's out of control you know your friends maybe your friends you confide in and talk to you say what are you doing I can't believe you I can't believe you you know you went to bed with this person again I, I just can't help it I couldn't stop myself you know there's nothing I could do This, you know, that phrase that we all love to quote all the time, I can do all things through Christ. It applies to this, to this area of struggle and to this, to this part of your journey that you can control your body. The word has a sense of you can get it back under your control. You can reel it in. You can take charge of it. It's not this thing that's driving you and you're just trying to keep up with it. That, that your what your body wants to do is running, and your Christian life is trying to t- catch up so that someday maybe in some way you can live a holy life he, God he just comes out and he tells us that you need to control your own body it 's possible for that to happen that you you in Christ you can do that in those moments when temptation is rising you can control yourself in those moments when there's temptation that 's blindsided you or In fairness, maybe that you set yourself up for, the truth is still there, that in every temptation, God has provided a way of escape for you to find that and and to bail on that and to do that. But he says to us, not just to control our own body, but that you know how to control your own body, that you know for yourself where the line needs to be. You need to know where the line you're getting close to that's gonna just become a fail-safe for you we remember talking to a teenager one time, and we were talking about this, this whole idea of where the line is, and I said, you cannot be sitting on the couch with your girlfriend trying to decide where the line is because it's just way too late at that point because you're too emotionally charged then, and emotions, as we've all learned in our journeys, they don't make good contributors to making smart decisions all the time. And so you've got to decide in, in light of yourself Where that line is, you know your own body. You know what your triggers are. I remember talking to someone that that had battled with pornography, and they were telling me that whenever he got an argument with his wife, he would go to pornography. Just whether it was to punish her or to to just make himself feel better, whatever that was, he just began to know, importantly, that was a trigger. And so I need to know that if we argue, I need to shut doors around that, around myself. So you've got to know, do you feel lonely? Do you feel whatever? What are the things that trigger you to take steps toward pursuing something that's just not going to lead to a good place? There are steps that you can take to things that are completely innocent at the start, Then maybe there's someone at work that just is very understanding, and you're just struggling, and you're just going to talk to them. You need to know yourself enough to know if that's going to trigger something in your heart that really only your spouse should trigger. There are innocent conversations that we have all the time that just have elements to them that are not so innocent. Not always that we're planning on, but that just a part of, of men and, and women interacting. And so you've got to know what are your triggers. You've got to know what are, what are situations where you might be more vulnerable so you don't put yourselves in, in those things. You've got to know your own body. See how individual that is? That you know yourself, that each of you, know this, he says. So that what you may call your line and where your boundaries are for you, they may be things that I'm totally safe with. They're, they have no, you know, Cindy and I, when we argue, uh, when we argue, that doesn't, that doesn't trigger me to pornography. It triggers me as a middle child to resolve this, you know, and to, how do we, how do we fix this? So it's gonna be totally individual. You just have to know for yourself, you have to be honest enough for yourself and then the safest thing for you to do is to confide that into someone that you can trust. Hey, you got to know, this is, this is for me, these are situations, or this is a scenario. So that if you see those going on, you can be a true friend and just get in my face on that and be like the red warning light that I need. So, so on, the, on the one side, you know, his, his will for us is for holy sex, we, we, we get ourselves there by learning to control our own body. And then he gives you these words, "Is what is that going to look like? Because I have some really unnerving conversations sometimes with people that are going down, they're going down this road, yeah, I want to live a sexually pure life. I want to control my own body. Uh, then we talk about, well, what is that going to look like? And it's, we're not always talking about the same thing. It seems, you know, what I'm thinking the Bible is saying to them or what might be safe for them is not so much the same on their side. And so God gives us a couple of words to know what that looks like, just to help us to, to define what controlling your body looks like. Controlling your body in holiness. Well, that's going to cut out a lot of things you might want to do with, that, with your body or people you want to do that with. You know, if, if you can backtrack back to the Garden of Eden where it's the last holy place, really, on earth. I mean, I understand the Temple Mount became holy because God's presence was there. But you talk about the Garden of Eden being the last truly holy place on earth where he creates creates Adam, and then he creates Eve. And remember, it says when God brings Eve to Adam, it says, you know, uh, Adam says, wow, this is now bone of my flesh and... What is a bone of my bone, a flesh of my flesh, however that goes, and I remember being in a class in seminary, and they're saying, that is so under-translated. There's gotta be some way you could translate this into, wow. <laughs> I mean, think about yourself. You've had however long Adam's been alive looking at animals, and all of a sudden, here's this, this kind of you that you're looking at who's naked, and there's just this, you know, wow, I've never seen anyone like you before. I mean, that's the first time that pickup line would ever really be true, you know? <laughs> you never has seen anyone like her, you know? Like I always kid about when we're thinking about that. I always wonder, just in the, the way that I wonder about things. So Adam fell asleep, he woke up, and there she is. How, how long or how soon was it that he took another nap? To see if that would work again. Did he, you know, did he say, hey, I'll bring it back. I want to take another nap. See if there's two of you. Or did he think, or was it a matter of stay awake? Just keep staying awake. Because the last time he fell asleep, however that goes, that's just, you know. There's no Greek or Hebrew that answers that question. But there you are in the garden in this holy, pure moment where he creates her. And he, it even includes in the word that he says to us, and they were both naked and they were not ashamed. Because in the holiness of the garden, there was a purity and an innocence that made everything safe for them. Because there's no sin, he's not going to exploit her or abuse her or selfishly use her. In the, in the purity and the innocence of and... The, what's the word? The sinlessness of the garden. It's going to be totally it's going to be totally them interested in each other. They're solely committed to each other. They have a relationship. There's, someone wrote that in the way the Hebrew is that God presented Eve to Adam, there's a marriage indication there. So he's given her away, and now in that relationship, they can just totally enjoy themselves without any of the shame or guilt that lingers outside of marriage, that should linger outside of marriage. So you control your body in holiness the way that it was supposed to be originally. If you fast forward from that day to, to our day and into and, and to where things were, if you go to Ephesians, um, I think I've got my verses out of order here for a second. Yeah, this is how it went into, into Ephesians. It says, so I tell you and encourage you in the Lord's name not to live any longer like the other people in the world. See, I'm beginning to get a sense that these churches, they'd been planted, they have been growing, but they still were dealing with issues that you not live any longer. So evidently they'd gotten saved, but they still were having a hard time setting old life aside. Their minds are set on worthless things they can't understand because they're in the dark. They're excluded from the life that God approves of because they're ignorance and stubbornness. Since they no longer have any sense of shame, that sounds kind of like our culture, since they no longer have any sense of shame, they have become promiscuous. They practice every kind of sexual perversion with a constant desire for more. But that's not what you learned from Christ's teachings. You have certainly heard his message and have been taught his ways. The truth is in Jesus. You were taught to change the way you were living. The person you used to be will ruin you through desires that deceive you. However, you were taught to have a new attitude. You were also taught to become a new person created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. It's in the God's word translation that I proved, that I uh, appreciated. That's where their lives were. They're, they're living in a Greek Roman world where sexual boundaries and sexual walls were just broken down and leaving, leaving people broken. And so God says to us, you know, that his will for us is, is for holy sex that's controlling your body in honor. I mean, in holiness. We're going to be in honor in a second. Yeah. That leaves you in holiness, the way, the way that he designed for it to be. Then he does say, this other word, when he talks to us, he says, to control your body in holiness and in honor. There's, just, there's, something, there's something about honoring another person in a relationship. Somebody ought to, your, your spouse, they ought to feel that you honor them. They ought to feel honored in their relationship with you. There ought to be a piece of that. I loved what somebody wrote in, in, in Luke 13, Jesus meets a woman who's been bent over. That's how Dr. Luke describes her. She's bent over for 18 years. And look at what one person wrote about our Lord Jesus. says, when Jesus laid his hands on the woman in Luke 13, she could stand up straight. When a pagan man touches a woman, she's made crooked. You know, when when women come to to find Jesus, He only has good plans for her. You know, if, if and I'm not saying that exclusively for women, but I think women grapple with that more than men do. When you come to Jesus with a, a crooked past or you just feel like crooked labels on yourself, boy, when He touches you, He just straightens all of that out. He just makes you this new person. That's what Scripture keeps speaking to you about: is to be a, a new person so you're to control your body in honor that when you're involved in a sexual relationship the other person ought to be left out of that experience feeling honored and cherished and safe and loved that's honoring that's that sex that honors god that honors the other person which is what his intent is there's a someday uh, uh, alexis was telling me someday max i gotta have you show people the pink and blue paper thing you guys were talking about. Cause we're, oh, that was Gavin. All right, never mind, Max. Gavin, I could have <laughs> you do that, yeah. There's a piece, there's an illustration they used that just shows that every time you have a random sexual encounter, there's just a piece of the other person that's taken <laughs> away of that. Where God's design is that the other person is left honored in that. And they're not, obviously they're not feeling abused, they're not feeling exploited, they're not feeling used. They're feeling cherished, like God, had, like God intended for, for it to be in Adam and Eve, and his intent was in every marriage after that. Boy, sin gets in the world, and it just becomes so much less than that. In, in Romans 1, God says that God gave, he gave people that just kept resisting him and kept suppressing the truth. He gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity. He just kind of took the boundary off what was in the heart of sinful men. And so it ended up with them dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. So that God just almost said, like our parents did occasionally, okay, if that's what you want, you can have it. And it just led, it has led to incredible brokenness and, and perversion in some ways. Over in Hebrews, you get God's side of of what is sex with honor? He says the marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral See marriage should be honored and the marriage bed. God isn't afraid to talk about that should be kept pure and should be kept Reserved what We talked about last week uh, that Ted Roberts who wrote the book pure desire said he when he grew up all he was told about sex was sex is dirty save it for marriage and you think <laughs> every time I say that, I think, what a twisted view to bring into your marriage thing. I can tell you that uh, I can tell you that I learned about sex in the locker room, and so I want to thank God for the guy who gave me a Christian book when I was at Moody, because that Christian book that was a lot different than what I learned in the locker room, and so yeah, so those things those things happen. Look at how this is translated in the message. This is the same Hebrews. Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between a husband and wife, or wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. So you're honoring marriage, you're honoring God, you're honoring this other person by controlling your body in honor. I will use this body, you know, sexually to honor someone and honor God, and if he says that's exclusively within marriage with one person, then that's what I will do. That's what he's saying. That's the will of God for you. You know, everything you wrestle out, I'm not sure I agree with that. You've got to wrestle that he started with. This is God's will for you. So, so, so he goes from there and he says, to control your body, not in godless passion of lust. So you have, when you're controlling your body, the word holiness needs to fit to how you're controlling your body. The word honor needs to fit into how you're controlling your body. And so does the word not in lustful passion, like those who don't know God. You know, it, it's not saying no passion. I hope there's passion in your relationship. And, and lust, which is the word for desire, I hope there's desire there. But in the New Testament world at that time, both of those words had, ter- had very negative connotations. Boy, lust in the New Testament world was more like an, a drive that was just taking off. And there was nothing that you could do about it. It was your emotions being in the driver's seat. We talked that, that this is a drive, it's like hunger, this isn't just something that can be a, a temptation, but sex is a drive, and it, it, it is a huge drive. What God is telling you is that you are in the driver's seat, though, for this drive, and that it can be controlled, and it can be controlled well, and it, it shouldn't be controlled the way people that don't know God are controlling it or, or losing control of it that they don't know God and so they don't know his boundaries. They don't know w- why he has these boundaries. They don't know what his intent is. They don't know any of that because they don't know God. Or if they know them, it makes no sense to them or it, it seems as though God is trying, to, is trying to keep them from happiness or joy or from having all of these great, great experiences when in reality, God is just trying to preserve something that's so special. He's trying to, to help us take this body that he created for us this body that He's created for us to serve Him and to love our neighbor, and He's trying to keep us from just using that randomly or recklessly or or casually with someone else. That's the intent of God, and so in a church, and remember, He's writing to the Thessalonians, and so this stuff must have been going on still in church. He's trying to tell them, you cannot look at the world and say, "Well, I'm Lisa; I'm not that bad." Because it always has to be over to, well, what is God's will for this? What is, how does he define this? And can I trust his heart that he defines this because he understands how it's going to best work and how it's going to leave you feeling honored and not with, a, not with a boatload of regrets? And so there's that element of not in, not in godless passion, the way they do that. Here, here in 1 Corinthians 6, look at how the message puts this. We looked at 1 Corinthians 6 last, last time. Remember we... said there that sex is a unique sin because it joins you to another person it it creates a oneness factor so he says since we want to become spiritually one with the master we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy leaving us more lonely than ever the kind of sex that can never become one let's talk about a verse and, and a way of paraphrasing that verse that speaks to our culture at this moment where people are pursuing sex without commitment and without intimacy, you know, what was the movie, uh, No Strings or whatever it was that just came out that there was, this is just random hooking up. It's, there's nothing to it. That will never lead to intimacy. That will always lead to brokenness. That will never lead to fulfillment. That will always lead to loneliness. You have to believe those of us that have lived to believe that. As a teenager, that, was, that stuff would have been very hard for me to, to process. And in my high school, it wasn't like everybody was hooking up. <laughs> it was fairly rare, but there was a lot of talk. There was a lot of talk. Enough talk that it made it something that you envied, wish I could, instead of confronting the truth, that that will leave you broken and lonely. That's the truth of God. that if you wait and to experience this within the confines and the relationship as he's created it, it will be better in so many ways, before, before and after. And so, so he says to them that you need to, you need to set yourself aside for a holy sex life, controlling your body, controlling your body with a word that defines it like holiness or honor or not in the godless passion of lust. You know God, you know his heart, you know his ways, You you can, you can learn his word. And those are, those are so important things. But then as if the Thessalonians wouldn't, get, wouldn't buy into that so much, then you get this sense in verse 6. He says that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness." So evidently, Paul spoke about this when he was there six weeks before, a couple months before he addressed this. But this week when I was was backtracking on this passage, these are present tenses. So you could translate verse six that no one keeps transgressing and wronging his brother uh, in this matter. So evidently within their church family, if you can hear it, if we could pretend to hear it now like they were hearing it then, Paul is saying, some of you men need to stop having sex with other guys' wives in this church family. Can you imagine if Pastor Ted and I get up and said that? But that's what was said in that room when this letter was read. Listen, I've spoken to some of you, I've spoken to all of you and told you, you've got to retrain what your sexual ethic is and what the purpose of sex is, and how your sex life will be, you've got you've to include that as part of your sanctification before God. Now I need to talk to some of you guys to stop sleeping with some of these women. That's how real it was in the New Testament, that you stop crossing the line. That's what the word transgress means, and that's probably where our takeaway needs to be, that you stop crossing the line and defrauding your brother, you know, taking something... From your brother, that is not yours to take. Taking something from a sister, that is not yours to take, and it, obviously that can that can go that way. In that culture, it was rarely women that were involved in this. Women were, were more just the objects. It was it really just it was a terrible time then. So that's why you get this sense. Must has been happening because he said we solemnly warned you. Remember we talked about the serious tone of this passage and it continues right here to the end. And you need to stop doing that, not just because it's wrong, because God feels so strongly about this that he is the avenger. That he's going to step in on this brother's behalf, on this sister's behalf, and avenge this. And I don't know what that means. We know that there's no condemnation in Christ, but we know that God takes this seriously enough that he himself is going to get involved in making it right. And so we need to hear that. Now, as far as we know, you know, and I think we're safe, that's not happening in this church. Do you know what our takeaway needs to be? We need to have a very clear line between men and women in our church family that as men... We need to be very careful how we relate to our sisters so that they feel like we have a holy, honoring relationship with them. When I was in Mrs. Woodbury's fourth grade uh, class at Webster Elementary School, she did this little time every, in the afternoon for a couple months on etiquette. And we learned how to answer a phone. She brought a phone in, and we learned how to answer the phone. We had, and learned how to do all these things. And one of the things we learned was that a gentleman never extends his hand to shake hands with a lady unless she extends her hand first. Now, in business, that's all changed because the business women, fortunately, have such a prominent role in business now compared to then. But I think there's a good takeaway to that, that as a man, can I speak to you men who are married or who are single in our church family, you should never go to hug a woman, hug one of the sisters, unless they give you an indication that they want to hug you. We should never be the aggressor. That's not a good word, the initiator on that side of things. Even if your heart is pure, I just think that's a safe line for us. And we're a hugging church, and there are plenty of you sisters that are comfortable, you know, hugging, and that's a good thing. We just need to let you tell us that's a safe line for you. And I could tell you that if you hear the Holy Spirit in your head telling you, uh-uh-uh, you need to abide by that. Because there are Sundays, you know, some of you I know were free to hug and, 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 and on a Sunday I'll say, hey, there's whoever. And I'll take a couple steps to go to give you a hug and maybe you're going like this and I just hear the Holy Spirit saying, uh-uh, uh-uh. And I don't know what that is. I don't know. I just trust the Holy Spirit knows what's going on in my heart, what's going on in her heart, that maybe something on that day is gonna stir something that is not good to be stirred. So you gotta listen to those things. You gotta listen to that. We've just got to treat, you know, we've got to treat each other, but I especially want to hear, we have to treat our sisters as incredibly special. And they have to feel that, boy, at Cottage Hill Church, there's a real value on being a woman, being a young lady, being a teenage girl there. That the men there value that and protect that. That, I think, is the larger takeaway from a passage like this, that you don't, you don't cross lines that are there that we help teenage girls and young ladies, we help them understand th- where the line is so that when they're at school or they are there with friends, they understand, no, there's a line here that, that I've seen modeled and that needs, that needs to be followed. You know, his, his will for us is to have this kind of, this kind of uh, holy sex, sex that doesn't cross the line. It doesn't even start crossing the line. Remember, Jesus said, you know, if you look on a woman, and so he's drawn the line way back, and that's the line that we're trying to honor. So here he comes to this passage and he tells us, he tells them right out of the gate, this is a serious, serious topic. It's a key area of being a follower of Jesus. If you're searching for what God's will for your life is, as we said, this is one of the few places in the Bible where it come right out and say, This is God's will. That you abstain from sexual immorality, so that you can enjoy godly sexuality in that way. So that you understand and you experience what His what His intent is for holy sex. So that we can model that well to the world. You know, I think the world the world hears us say something like this. You know, when in reality, this is what God is saying. The world hears us saying, "Abstain from sex." Maybe the world thinks our message is sex is dirty, save it for marriage. But that's far from what God is saying. But we just have to hear what He's saying and then we have to we have to embrace that and model that to the world. Then they will see marriage is in holes that work. Marriage as a whole that works. A marriage you know, a marriage with a sex life that leaves you whole and not leaves you broken. Is there, is there brokenness? Or some of your stories include brokenness? They do. And is there healing in the cross for that? There is. And as you grow in the word, you'll experience that healing. If there's a, in the same way that we have road to recovery, if we found out that we had a core of men who really struggled and lived in defeat with sexual sin, we'd start a ministry for that. That's just, we would just interpret that as God calling us to, to help men walk in holiness and purity. We can't just say men now, though, can we? Because even the statistics I read about pornography in churches show that women battle that, not so much as men, but not too far behind. So I don't want to say that to exclusion. If we found out we had a core of women that just battled, battled with this, yeah, then we would seek God about a ministry, a ministry to help you walk out of that. The key that started this, where we started this whole thing, was when he says, you know, this is God's will that you live to please God, that you do this more and more. And he started this off with keep your goal clear. Your goal is to please God. Your goal is to live in his will. And so you experience him in all of the goodness. That's, that's where this thing starts. That's where this, this all went. And that verse that says you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God with all of you, with your mind and heart and with your body. So... I'm going to pray, you know, obviously, not so obviously. I mean, if we were a men's conference, they might be doing an invitation. Obviously, we're not going to say, so if this is you, stand up. Because we're not, we're not about embarrassing people, but we are about helping people get to the next step. So if this is a struggle of yours, a key to that will be telling someone and bringing it out of the darkness into the light so that you can, you can move forward in victory and not just make this another Sunday where you make some promises that you're gonna break and you live in greater guilt. You need to walk out of this into the victory that Jesus has for you. There's a resource uh, that I've put together, couples that I walked through premarital counseling with. The last time we get together for the wedding, we talk about what does the Bible say about sex? What does it say to you as a couple? And you know, where's your freedom and where is that not? So we've actually put that on a, uh, on the QR code. If you do the QR code, that will link you and Alexis has put that that little study that I've done. It's just a couple pages of what are elements to building a healthy biblical sexual life in marriage. So that's available to you if you if you want to scan that then that'll be there. So let's pray and then the team's gonna lead us. Father, thank you that you talk about every area of life I, to, I remember just as a teenage new follower of yours, just how stunned I was to find out you even talk about sex other than saying don't. So thank you that you've covered all of our lives. Thank you that you have protected every area of life and let us know what you envisioned it to be, what you created it to be, to know the freedom that you've given given to it. and the safety valves, the safety constraints that you have put to it. I just wanna pray over the church family and and our live stream family, God. I wanna pray that you would lead to healing to those for whom this just stirs up such brokenness and such loneliness and heartache that they would just experience you in the midst of that. I mean, How many women did you meet that had been exploited by men and you just set them off free. So I pray that would happen today with men and women. I pray, God, that we would be a people, a holy people called to be holy as you are holy, who will just commit to the boundaries that you have put around sexuality, that we would protect that, and that, that we wouldn't be known for just pounding the table on what we're against, but we'd be known a people that are just so convinced that what you, you've put together is right and true, and that, and that leads to life to the full, like you said, Lord Jesus. I pray for those that, that are just living in, uh, in the discouragement or just futility, they feel like, of fighting this, that just the presence of your spirit within them would just give them hope, but beyond hope, give them the drive and the commitment to live obedient to you, God. We want to follow you into every area where you say to go. We want to stay away from every area where you're protecting us from. I pray over our, our, our young generation, Lord. Our, I pray over our unmarrieds, whether young adults or teenagers, oh God. And I just pray your protection over them. I pray that you protect them from men or women that the evil one would try to bring into their lives just to, to lead them away from a... Like, like Corinthians says, from a pure love of you, Jesus. Protect their relationships. I pray for those who are in relationships right now, that they'd, they'd be honest enough to put those relationships before you to see whether this is a person that you've brought into their life or whether this is, is this a person that's gonna bring them closer to you, Jesus, or drift you away from them? Is their involvement with this person honoring to you, God, or dishonoring to you? I pray that that our young people would be honest enough to to put that before you, and faithful enough to believe that you really do, you really are trying to preserve a good thing. Help them to live in that. Pray over Max and Sophie, Lord, as they work with our teenagers and and have opportunity for these conversations, just give them favor and give them the words and all of those, and bless their marriage, God, the model that it is to our our teens. We're so grateful for them. And our marriages, God, we pray that every one of us would be the model that, that we each need to see as, as married, but then as our un, that our unmarrieds need to see that this is a good thing, this is a thing worth waiting for, and it's a, a thing that's worth finding a godly partner for. So all of that we put before you. We believe it's in your will. We believe you can do it. We believe you love us enough to want to do it. So that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.